Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. So uh, did you uh, did you feel the earthquake over the weekend? So was it Sunday morning? 6 a.m. Sunday morning? It was near the town of West Canton. Canton being the town that has the mill that's closed down now that made all of the news uh, in western North Carolina. A 3.2 magnitude earthquake. 3.2, which is, that's kind of small. It's kind of small, and we do get those types of, uh, are they tremblers or temblers? I don't know. Earthquakes. Tremors. Tremors. No, that's what you get with the alcohol withdrawal. The, uh, The earthquake was reported Sunday morning in western North Carolina near the Tennessee state border. Um, and uh, right near the Appalachian Trail. There was no sign of Mark Sanford anywhere in the vicinity. But uh, no. this is kind of common because you, uh, you got the mountains there. So there are, there are earthquakes and such around them, thar mountains. Also, people uh, in the D.C. area heard sonic booms over the weekend, causing a lot of concern, sometimes panic. It was because of this plane. Uh, and for folks who are old enough to remember it, it reminded me of the Payne Stewart plane crash. So the sonic boom that people heard were this, the F-16 fighter jets that got scrambled in order to go intercept this plane. It's a Cessna. And uh, it was on its way from Tennessee to uh, Long Island MacArthur, which uh, just personal note, that's like right near where I grew up. It's in Islip MacArthur, MacArthur Airport. They call it Long Island MacArthur, but it's it used to be Islip MacArthur. And um, the uh, they have identified the people who were on board. Uh, the plane was registered to Encore Motors of Melbourne, Florida, according to the flight tracking website Flight Aware. Uh, the owner of that company is a man by the name of John Rumpel, and he and his wife own a house in Banner Elk, North Carolina. And so uh, their daughter and their granddaughter had come to visit them from Long Island, and they were flying back into Islip, and uh, the plane got sort of up into New York, and then it abruptly did a 180-degree turn and started heading back. And it got into restricted airspace. The jets got scrambled. They tried to make contact. The plane was not being, the pilot in the plane was not being responsive. And so what, uh, and then it eventually went down um, in the Shenandoah Valley. And so what their, what the belief is that this was, uh, what is it called, hypoxia, oxygen deprivation, there's a loss of cat uh, due to a loss of cabin pressure inside the plane. And basically everybody loses consciousness and the plane on autopilot makes its way to uh, Long Island, but then never lands 
and when it hits that waypoint in its system, it, it now turns around and goes to the back to the last waypoint that it had. And so that seems to be what uh, the initial um, hypothesis is that occurred. The sound barrier, when these jets scrambled, they shot some flares at it to try to get the pilot's attention. I think uh, they say they made, they were able to intercept the the plane, so I guess they got close enough to be able to see inside the cockpit, and that's when they re- they saw that the, the the pilot was unconscious. 767 miles an hour. That's how fast the planes go when they uh, when they break the sound barrier. They were the family was returning to the East Hamptons. This was uh, the Rumpel's daughter, their two year old granddaughter, the pilot, as well as a nanny were all on board uh, and all uh, perished in the flight or in the crash rather. Um, then we've got Sam Brinton. Speaking of airlines and such, airplanes and such, we've got Sam Brinton in the news yet again. For what, Pete? Glad you asked. Stolen property. Again. Luggage. Again. This time from Reagan National Airport. Now facing an additional charge of grand larceny, Samuel Otis Brinton. Initials SOB. That's interesting. The arrest comes a month after Sam Brinton, who made headlines last year after being appointed to the position that oversees nuclear waste policy at the Department of Energy's Office of Nuclear Energy. He made news because he was a non-binary, gender-fluid person. And he escaped jail time in two separate cases in Minnesota and in Nevada involving, you guessed it, luggage thefts. I said at the time, This is just the ones we caught him, right? He's done this way more times. And by the way, him getting dressed up in the clothing of his victims, like that is is a deviancy right there. That's some sort of a fetish. Police charged Brinton in October with stealing a traveler's baggage worth a total of $2,300 from the luggage carousel at the Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport after flying in from Ronald Reagan Washington National Airport in D.C. on September 16th. And then in early December, Las Vegas prosecutors charged him with grand larceny of an item valued between $1,200 and $5,000. They accused him of stealing a suitcase with a total estimated worth of $3,670. This one was at Harry Reid International Airport in Vegas. The bag contained jewelry valued at $1,700, clothing at $850, makeup at $500. Brinton was looking at up to 15 years total for the two alleged thefts. However, in both cases, the presiding judges ruled that eh, jail time isn't really necessary. I think he's learned his lesson. Don't you think? By the way, there's another case. So there, there are now four that we know of. Right, the two that he got charged with and didn't get any jail time. We got the one that he's now been charged with and he just got arrested for. And there's a fourth case, but this is the Tanzanian fashion designer based in Houston. She's accused Brinton of stealing her luggage that she reported missing before a big fashion show. 
And so she couldn't participate in the fashion show because her luggage got stolen. And then she sees pictures of this clown at some sort of gala, gala, whatever, at some party wearing her stuff, wearing her stuff, her, her, yeah, her garments and such. I mean, he wore them backwards or something. He like did something. Well, you you got to make it your own. It's like a cover song, you know. You got to make it your own. Houston police referred that case to the FBI. Brinton has since departed the Department of Energy. And speaking of thieving, according to KPRC TV in Houston, three suspects have been arrested on felony theft charges. After hundreds of cemetery thefts. This is in the Houston area county of Brazoria. Which sounds like. That sounds like a country made up in like a Dilbert cartoon. The downfall of the suspects. An Apple air tag. Have you heard? I I had heard of this thing. I don't know if I really paid it much attention. But these air tags some sort of device that you you put onto something and then it, it tracks it. It's a tracking device. It's a homing device. It is unclear whether the suspects were responsible for all of the thefts in which tens of thousands of dollars worth of bronze vases were stolen from the cemeteries. You know the things that they're, they're part of like the headstones? You know, you, you, you give them a twist, you pull them out, you flip them over, and now they act as a vase, and it sits in the headstone. You put your flowers in there. But if you don't have flowers, then you just you take the vase, you turn it over, you drop it down into the hole, and you give it a twist, and now it, it stays locked in that hole. Well, they were going around stealing these things. Special place in hell for these guys, I suspect. After having two vases stolen from his uncle's grave in Restwood Memorial Park in Clute, Texas, a man named Tony Velasquez took matters into his own hands and he put an air tag on one of on the replacement vase. And that's where they uh, they caught him. You'll never guess how much how much how much money these things are worth and how many they had. All right. Hey, real quick. It is estimated that more than six million Americans have Alzheimer's. It affected my family. My grandpa had it. New research and treatments are showing promise, but there's still a long way to go. So can you help me by supporting the Alzheimer's Association's Western Carolina chapter? The Family Dance Party Charlotte's on June 10th from one o'clock until five o'clock. It's at the Roxbury Nightclub in Uptown Charlotte. Go to Mix1079.com and get tickets and come bust a move on the dance floor or donate tickets to a family that's battling the disease. The Family Dance Party is presented by Jameson Realty. Again, if you can help us out, I appreciate it. Go to Mix1079.com and thank you for considering the request. Got a message here from Tim at Old Grouch's Military Surplus. Oh, sorry. Breaking news. Breaking news. Chris Sununu, not running for president. Made the announcement on CNN for some reason. Like, I would just like to announce I, too, am not running for president. Can I get a, can I get a spot on CNN? I guess the Sununu-mentum didn't kick in as he thought it would. Um All right, so Tim at Old Grouch's Military Surplus, he says, uh, Pete, in the last few years, he's talking about these uh, these air tags, these Apple air tags. They're basically tracking devices, right? So in the last few years, there were huge problems with the movers that the U.S. military was contracting with to move families. 
lost shipments where everything a family owns just disappeared. Long delays with no answers. You know, hey, where's my stuff? I don't know. So families started putting the air tags in the crates. And now the moving companies cannot lie to them. A lot of construction companies are putting them into tools and heavy equipment the same way to fight thefts. That's interesting. I was not aware of that kind of uh, problem. I mean, I have heard stuff about the moving industry. I have never, we, well, well, I have moved, Christy and I have moved a bit. We moved five times in two years, okay? But every time we moved, we would hire just some guys to unload the trucks or load the trucks. So I would go and rent the truck myself. I would bring the truck there and, and then we would help load it and we would help unload it and all of that. But we were we never hired just like a full-on truck and main, mainly because their hours stunk. <laughs> I don't know if you're aware of this, but like we, we wanted to move over a weekend or something and they said, oh, we don't we don't do the move on a Sunday. Oh. Okay, well then, uh, goodbye. I, <laughs> I don't have, I don't really have any use for that. So what, you're just going to park the truck because it, it was. Uh, I want to say it was from Charlotte or from it, it was the move from Asheville back to Charlotte, and I looked into getting a truck, and they said that they would, you know, go and load the truck up in Asheville. And I told them, I said, you know, everything is all boxed up; it's ready to go. And I'm sure they've heard that a million times, but for us, it's actually true. We're not actually packing stuff up when the movers show. All of our stuff is boxed up and ready to go. And so he said, well, yeah, we'll come up there. We'll load the truck. We'll drive to Charlotte, and then we'll probably just park it, and we'll unload it. Well, it won't be the next day because the next day is a Sunday, and we don't work Sundays. So we would unload it on Monday. And I said, so you want you want to leave the truck out in front of the apartment building with all my stuff in it? And us not able to access it, you want you you think this is a this is a good solution? This is the way. Like I'm out. <laughs> I'll rent the truck. <laughs> and that's what we did. And then you can get it. Um, you get moving services, and a couple guys show up. You know, we had our own hand trucks and all that. Just a much easier. But that's a really good idea if you're using a moving company because now you'll be able to track stuff. Because we noticed on one of the moves. Some stuff, like a box, got boosted. Don't know who took it. Could have been taken when they were piling everything outside the truck. Could have been taken off the truck. Could have been taken in the hallway. Don't know. But somebody swiped one of our boxes. Had a very big, very big cooking pan in it. That's how we know. Wish I had an air tag. But I would not have known which box to put it in unless I had like a thousand air tags. That might get expensive. How much money do you think these brass vases are worth? These guys stole in Houston. These three guys got busted. There's a fourth guy still on the loose. For stealing all of these bronze vases from a cemetery, from the headstones. And when a guy used the air tag to track down the thieves because they stole his uncles and so he replaced it. But each one of these things goes for about $600. And... So they found more than 100 vases, or sorry, they're suspected of stealing more than 100 vases. So that's like $62,000 over like a two-month period. The problem was initially for them, it was getting rid of them. The, the scrapyard wouldn't take them. 
The pawn shops wouldn't take them. They're like, these look like they're stolen. And so they wouldn't take them. So then they tried to cut them down. They tried to shred them down, and then they still wouldn't take them. So then they started melting them in a fire that they built at their house. And they were trying to <laughs> trying to smelt it down. Yeah, there you go. I mean, I'm not saying it was the best idea. Yeah. But considering, yeah, considering the smarts these guys are exhibiting, this might be the only line of work they, they could get in grave robbing, basically. There you go. Oh, hey, real quick, before I forget, Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners, all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? More than 100 friends and family members flocking from states as far as California packed into a small brick church in Kannapolis over the weekend to pay their respects to DeMonte Sherrill, one of the two construction workers killed in that massive fire that consumed an apartment building under construction near South Park Mall last month. Cheryl loved to fish for bass in Lake Norman. He's a practical jokester and uh, would feast on home-cooked meals, according to family members and friends who attended the memorial service at Covenant Presbyterian Church. But nothing was more important to the man, they, the, uh, friends say, that they called Trey, or sorry, Tay, it's DeMonte, uh, nothing was more important than his four kids. Ames Alexander, writing at the Charlotte Observer, lists them as two boys, two girls, ages 5 to 13. Cheryl's wife, the mother of his four children, died from COVID in 2021. Now the kids' grandparents are taking care of them. There is a GoFundMe for them. It's already raised about $25,000, and I would uh, I would ask if you uh, have a heart to do so, to donate to help the family. He was a native of Kannapolis. He wanted his kids to be able to accomplish something that he never got to do, specifically graduate college. He and the other victim, 58-year-old Reuben Holmes, were on the sixth floor of the building when the fire broke out. They worked for an Atlanta-based company that installs windows and doors. Um, if you go to GoFundMe, and search for South Park Fire, you'll find the uh, the campaigns. Now, one of them was set up by his sister, I believe, or maybe his cousin. And that one uh, has about $24,000 or $25,000, I think. It had an original goal of like 10000 And then City Councilman Tark Bukhari set up another one, and I think that one is actually for both of the victims, but I I don't recall off the top of my head. Uh, And that goal was 20,000. Because there were two men who died in the uh, who died in the fire. Um, Now, I don't know if this is still the case over at the, the Charlotte Observer, but 15 years, 20 years ago, um, I guess it's probably, yeah, between 15 and 20 years ago, there was a prevailing uh, question rooted in a philosophy, I guess, that they would always ask themselves over there 
who's to blame, who's to blame. Whenever they were doing a story, they would filter it through this prism of who's to blame. And sometimes that's helpful. Sometimes it's not. I don't know if they're still doing that. But in reading some of the some of the stories, and, and they're not alone. I mean, and, and I understand where this comes from. You're sitting around a news department and you are trying to come up with updates to stories. And in this case, it's the South Park fire. And I will give you a, a secret here. There's a reason why TV news stations, particularly, focus on fires. It makes good video. It is really as simple as that. That's why you will get video of an apartment fire that, you know, nobody died. There was nobody displaced. It was in a vacant fire, whatever, or a vacant apartment. That's why you get fire video. It's easy to go to. You just jump in the car. You hear it over the scanner. You jump in the car. You head over there, and you shoot video, and you can get the firefighters. You can get the... Uh, you know, the guys uh, rolling up the hoses, taking out the hose, you get the, but you get the flames too. And the flames are pretty. And there's just something really elemental. I mean, sitting around a campfire, like there's this theory that it, it, like human beings have been staring into fires, right? For our entire existence. And so there's something that connects us when you look into the fire or as it is also called sometimes uh, hippie TV. And you look into the, you look into the embers and they, they glow and they pulse and they, it's like the, the fire is breathing, you know? And so there's something that captures our attention about that. So you're sitting in the newsroom, you're trying to figure out, okay, what's the next angle on this story? So yes, you have the, the, the services for the men who died. You have that. You can talk about them and their lives. You talk about the firefighters, the work that they did and all. But then there is this question of like, who's to blame? And who's to blame in this case, from what we have heard so far, was that there was a malfunctioning uh, foam insulation machine, right? Think some, this, this, this machine that's spraying the foam. Something happened with that. It sparked out, flamed out, whatever, and it, uh, it catches fire. And in a construction site, it's all wood. And so you're basically sitting on almost literally a tinderbox, Right. That's what one of the uh, reasons why it's very dangerous work. But now somehow we're supposed to what? Stop building with wood because this fire occurred and you know there's a lot of wood and this, this wouldn't have happened if they were building out of concrete. Yeah, and you know what also wouldn't have happened? The project. They wouldn't even have had a job here. Because concrete and steel is way more expensive than wood. There's a reason why all of the apartment buildings that get built nowadays, or virtually all of them, are built with one or two floors. The first two stories are usually concrete. And then the four on top of that are wood. Because that's the height that you can build. You can do four stories out of stick. That's it. Stick built, four stories, anything over than that, you're, you're getting into concrete. Which... Pros and cons there, right? Concrete sturdier, you can uh, more soundproofing in between units and all of that. Uh, especially like the floors, it's good because you can, you won't hear people like you know, walking on your head. I've lived in apartments for years. It is no fun when you've got terrible people around you. 
uh, but the thing is, it's cheaper to build them. You could build more of them. And when we're looking at affordable housing crises, as we are, right, I would think you should not be trying to mount some campaigns to get stick-built apartment buildings canceled. But it seems like some media outlets are interested in doing that. Or at least they're just, they're, they're curious. They're just they're just swiping left on a couple of these story ideas. They're just kind of, or right, I don't even know. What's left, right, is one... Is one universally like left is delete and right is I'm interested on the dating apps or I don't know. Investigators work to uncover the cause of the deadly construction fire. New details are emerging about the type of construction used at the site. Okay. It's actually, it's wood. It's, they're not new details. These are not emerging details. There's nothing new about this. Humans have been building out of wood. Well, since we could actually get wood. Right. As soon as when we could get it off the forest floor, we were building out of it. So this is not these are not new details emerging. It's it's just wood. Yeah, just standard lumber. The 239 unit luxury apartment building had a wood frame construction. (gasps) No. According to the developer and county records, an increasingly common style over the past decade. It's actually. Yeah, wood frame is has been a common style for centuries. Like, literally, all over the world. That's very common. Less common is concrete and steel. Less common. (sighs) All right, now, you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items. From modern tactical gear to historical collectibles, Tim at Old Grouches is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouches. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. So uh, international building codes adopted by North Carolina allow for wood frame buildings. I know, I know. Some fire science experts worry about the style's prevalence. Why? Quote, the overall size, including height and square footage, matters when a building catches fire, in this case with enormous amounts of wood. Well, yeah, but it's, but that's not a, this is not a normal thing, right? The more wood on a project, the harder it is for firefighters to put out flames because the framing continues to feed the fire, right? Because once you get the sprinkler systems in, see, this is the thing, and they have to keep the, the, the fire experts that they talk to, they, they keep reinforcing, like, this is when it's under construction. After it is built, it is now up to code, right? And now it's got all of the, the irrigations, or uh, irrigation, but the, uh, the fire uh, water systems and stuff, the sprinkler systems in place, right? All of that's now in place, and so now that won't happen. But, but when it's under construction, so what's the, I mean, you could put in some sensors or something, right? You could put in some... Sprinkler systems, I guess, maybe start building that immediately. I don't know how you would do that, but I don't know. It's There's an interesting backstory on all of this. The There was some architect who was sitting on the beach, I think in like California, 
and he was going through some building code, as as one tends to do whilst sitting on the beach in California. And uh, he realized that there was a loophole in the code that said he didn't have to build just one story of the first story uh, of a five-story building with out of concrete. So, like, the deal was they could do, like, the bottom layer, the bottom, the, the ground floor in concrete, and then they could stack four levels up on top, four stories above that concrete base. So that's why you end up having the, you know, like the lobby area and the amenities area in these in these apartment buildings. That first floor was concrete, and then they could stack four stories on top. Well, this guy realized, well, wait a minute. Can't we do two stories of concrete on the bottom? And you could. And so now you build two stories of concrete. So the first, first two stories, if you're in an apartment on those first two stories, you're going to have concrete. But then they can get four more stories up above you. So you can get six, six floors total. Right? Like that's the, and so that's become a standard way of building now because it maximizes the floor space. And here's why the wood versus concrete and steel matters. If you're on the job site and you run out of a building material, all you need to do is run down to the local hardware store or big box store or lumber yard and get yourself some extra pieces. And then you can come back and finish the work. You can't do that if you're building out of concrete. You've got to bring in the trucks. You've got to have uh, masonry you know, guys there, experts in how to use steel and, and welders and all of this. Whereas with wood, here, here's your hammer. <laughs> there you go. Here's your hammer. You're now a carpenter, right? Most people can swing a hammer, and uh, it's, just a, it's just a way more efficient way of building. And also, it's a renewable resource, right? It's wood. It's cheaper to build with. Wood has become one of the most prevalent building materials in the world for over the past decade, says the Charlotte Observer. <laughs> Just the past decade? Really? Like, hey, man, I don't know if you've heard about this newfangled uh, product. It's called wood. Yeah, this wood. We could build out of it. Yeah. Look at that. We could build really big things. Man, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad we figured this wood thing out. I don't understand it. Corbett says the one of the guys quoted says uh, the fire would have been dramatically smaller if it was not made of wood. And that's true. If only it were made of water. If only.